Let's go live. All right, we're live. Awesome. Anyways, we're sitting down here with Chad Ward, also known as Whiskey Bent Barbecue, also known as the inventor of the Chad Ward method, as Joe Rogan would say. <laughs> How you doing today? Doing great, man. Thank you guys for coming in. Yeah, man. This headquarters is awesome. I'll tell you what, man. I, I'm out here. I try to be out here about every three weeks, depending on what else we have going on. And uh, just such an awesome, creative environment. You know, here at Traeger HQ, you know, in the Sugar House area, Salt Lake. Um, you know, as a cook, I love it because... I don't know. We're looking out over what about fifteen grills right now. You know, yep. probably a capacity to cook a whole lot of food. You yeah. got a full um, fleet. Yep. But then inside, man, just the uh, you know what I love about it is it, I always tell people it's kind of the Google offices of outdoor cooking. You know, we've got the we don't have the nap pods, but we've got <laughs> the relaxation areas. You know, hey, dear, and oh wait, do you have? But is there a safe space? No, no, there's no safe space. <laughs> I, I guess if you're small enough, you can climb inside that big commercial unit. Maybe that's a safe. You guys space, are so regressive. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but but for me, you know, just just being here, just I, I love the office because it's set up for collaboration. And when you're a fast growing brand, you're bringing new people on. Um, you got to have that collaboration, just getting to know each other, and just working together because there's so much great stuff going on. Yeah, I'll tell you what, when we walked in here, I was kind of shocked. I mean, I'd seen the inside before from like Cam Haynes when he's out here for the Great Western Hunting Expo. Did you meet him, by the way? Yeah. Oh, what a cool dude. I met him at the Expo. And so I saw a few guys, Dudley, when he came through here. They'd always kind of do like an Instagram thing. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Like you said, it kind of has the tech feel to it. The ceilings aren't finished. You know, it's the open workplace. And for my generation, I think that's huge. Like selling points, that's that's enormous. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things if if somebody comes in here as a talent looking to – to join the, the trigger team and you come in and just see what the work environment's like and, and having come from the tech and software field before I went into barbecue as a, as a job. Um, I know for me back when I was in my, you know, mid twenties, early, you know, late twenties in the software business, this is, that's what I cared about. Like this would be like slam dunk. So when I came in at, you know, 39 years old as a barbecue guy and I saw it, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'd love to be an employee here. Yeah, when you, I mean, I've watched like all your content online, you know, Cleared Hot with Andy Stump, Gritty Bowman, you know, Dudley, all those things. And you guys always talk about cooking, obviously, yeah. grilling. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that. But I think an aspect that gets overlooked is just how smart you are as a businessman and how you somehow alchemized being a pitmaster and having this amazing lucrative career. Well, th- thank you first. That's a huge compliment. You know, for, for me, it kind of came down to I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. Um, I was that guy that would pay kids that lived in another neighborhood. You know, I'd give them a dollar a day and, you know, three pieces of candy. They'd buy the candy at the candy shop, give it to me. Well, because they were, they were different. I could buy the candy from them and sell it for two bucks to my group of friends. You know what I mean? And I just always had that ability and it was never a greed thing. It was never, it was just a, an entrepreneurial thing, man. It was fun. You know I mean? When, when I was growing up, I mean, I was into, you know, I had a I had a misbed greenhouse. I had chickens. I you know sold my eggs, sold the plants. Uh, big baseball card guy. You know from yeah. time I was you know thirteen years old to probably eighteen. You know I, I was setting up at not just flea markets but you know big baseball card uh, conventions and those kind of things. And it just kind of always continued to grow and um, just tried to learn a lot on the way. And when the opportunity came to to open a barbecue store, it was kind of like man, this is what I love and Sure, we'll get into, well, maybe we can go into it now, kind of how I got into barbecue. How how did you get into barbecue? You know, it it was one of those things, and I've told the story a few times, but um, I was 
love my dad to death, man. One of the greatest men in the world. I've learned, you know, more from him than I could ever ask for. And, you know, my mom too, just, I'm one of those people that's fortunate, you know, parents have been married over 40 years. It wasn't easy, but they stayed together because they, they believed in family and what it meant. And my dad, as great a man as he is, is just a horrible barbecue. He, he was your, <laughs> your typical propane gas cooker. Yeah. Which was when it came to chicken breast, it was burnt on the outside and raw on the inside. And so at a young age, I kind of, you know, dad, let me get the tongs and let me figure it out. And um, I just loved it. I, I loved cooking a great meal and, and maybe it's the people pleaser in me, you know, when people, you know, have a great meal and just enjoy it and they don't have to say a word. You can watch their face. You can see their eyes. You can see how much they're enjoying it. And, it, and that's just something I, I really enjoyed. And, you know, move on into, you know, I played, you know, high school sports, uh, baseball, a little bit in college, and then, you know, kind of got, kind of realized, hey, at, at 5'10", you know, back then, 205, even though you hit the ball a ton, you're probably not going to be a, a pro first baseman. So, oh, you're uh, playing first base. Yeah, I played first base, yeah, and I, I closed. <laughs> I, threw the, I threw the ball pretty hard. I threw the ball, you know, low 90s, but I had a pretty nasty slider, and Wow. But but it was just one of those things where I kind of looked at it. You know, that's one of those looking at it as a businessman. I kind of looked at it and said, my chances of, of doing anything beyond this sophomore year of baseball is probably slim and none. So why would I not take an opportunity to go work at that time? Uh, Public supermarkets was a big chain down in the southeast. Very successful. Um, why would I not take a chance to, to go to school full time and go full time there? They may not have a position in two years. When I when I graduate, so I got a chance to go full time here now. I'll go to school full time. I'll knock it out in two years. I have to give up baseball, but I had a lot of great. Yeah, I played from the time I was five years old. Had a lot of great memories, but sometimes you got to let it go. You know, you're 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 just not going to be a pro ball player. You're not going to advance and call it done. So, well, that's a very mature thing, like a very mature risk cost analysis at such a young age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I went through one earlier when I, I got accepted to West Point. Oh, and, really? Yeah. And so I looked at it, and this is 17 and a half. And I said, all right, well, if I go to the point, you know, I, you know, put give, give, you know, four years of school, I got to give back six or eight. I can't remember the number at the time. But then I was kind of like, well, if I'm in eight, I mean, why wouldn't you do 20? You know what I'm saying? So you can right. fully retire. Retirement. Then I'm sitting there going, well, golly, man, I'm about to make a decision at 17 and a half that's going to carry me to, 38, 40 years old. And um, I just couldn't justify it at that point. You know what I mean? It was like, um, I'd love to. I mean, any, anywhere, you know, even if you just wanted to do your six or eight that you had to give back, you go anywhere and drop a West Point resume on a – and I regretted it for a while. Like, I, I would sit there and go, man, I probably made the wrong decision, this and that. I don't look back on it now. I think, it, you know, you, know you, you, you get down a path because of, you know, certain decisions you make in life. And – it was a big decision to make. And, and a lot of people were like, I can't believe, you know, I'd have, I think that year 18,000 people applied and 1,800 got accepted. I mean, it was a pretty, you know, like an 8, 10%, you know, acceptance rate. So it was cool to get accepted. I mean, it was a heck of a process to go through. Um, but just for me at that point, it was kind of like, man, I can't, I can't make a decision that's going to carry me that far in life at this point. And now I look at it, I mean, I'm 42 now. I mean, you just I'd, I'd, I'd been coming out four years ago. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, so, plus, you would have been deployed. Oh, oh! Times, you know? Knowing my personality, I'd have been deployed every time they'd have given me a chance. You yeah. know what I mean? You know, so you know you don't don't even know if you come out of it, right? And so, 
college after I get out of baseball, um, I was fortunate, man. I lived with three of my buddy, two of my buddies. We had a great time. We had a great place. And uh, every weekend, we we just cooked out. Um, and I, I cooked all those cookouts during college on an old Sunbeam gas grill that all the gas components were shot on. It was my dad's old grill. And so I took out the, the gas components. I had a piece of flanging and some JB weld and, and kind of tidied up the middle of it there. I drilled some holes in it so I could get airflow, and I turned it into a charcoal grill. Wow. And um, I always tell people I cut my teeth on things that were like six minutes from going out of date. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it was if it was seventy percent off, and the butcher was about to throw it in the trash, that's when it, hey, save it for Chad. He'll probably be by by yeah. by nine thirty this morning. He'll take it. <laughs> and uh, and so and, and that, but but you know, it made me cook a lot of different things. It made me cook a, cook a lot of you know peasant cuts, if you will. And and when you cook those tougher cuts, you know, you just find ways to make them tender, make them flavorful, whether it be you know, marinades or injections, that kind of thing. So did that for a couple of years and I'll graduate college and now you got to become an adult. And, and so, what did you study? Culinary arts? No, no, I, I, no, I studied school of hard knocks. I, not, I, I always tell people I got this body from eating a lot of mistakes. <laughs> you, 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 uh, yeah. You know, you, you don't just wake up one morning and be a, a pretty good, decent pit master. So, um, ate some mistakes. My friends ate some mistakes but um, it's kind of the way it goes and graduated college and um, had an opportunity. One of the last projects I was part of at Publix was a software project with SAP. And I, I met a guy there and, and um, he just took a liking to me. And so I said, hey, man, if you ever have any opportunities in software, give me a call. And uh, he was going to start up a, a RFID company, which is, I call it kind of the electronic version of the barcode, you know, so it's a silicon chip and an antenna and you know you can read it from 10 12 feet away it it can kind of revolutionize especially back then you know 14 years ago it kind of revolutionized the way manufacturing and supply chain operated and i thought it was a cool concept and i met with the ceo and you know got a nice fat pay raise for leaving Publix, and and i just loved it man that entrepreneurial sense i always thought man i want to be part of a software startup or turnaround because it's just kind of the, the way I am. And I didn't want to, Publix was a great place and I could still be there today and I'd probably be a director or a vice president because, you know, I, I did that company well and they did me well. But for me, I just, I, I couldn't bear the thought of waking up at 50 years old going, man, I wish I'd have went and worked for that software startup at, you know, 26, 27 years old. And uh, so I did it. It was a, a company based out of Dallas. Um, worked there, gosh, seven, eight years and just really enjoyed it, man. It was, it was fun. You know, we grew from a group of, you know, five, six guys to a group of, you know, 50 folks and, you know, won a ton of business and, and it was a lot of fun. And from there I went on to work for a, a French software or actually a Finnish software company, uh, working, you know, on the, on their sales team over here in the U S and then to a French, uh, software company kind of directing U S sales and, kind of started to get burnt out on it, you know, and this opportunity came up with Traeger. Um, during that time with the French software company, I kind of looked at the barbecue supply store environment in my hometown of Lakeland, Florida, where born and raised, still live there today. Um, you know, currently I've been traveling so much that I really just get my mail and my mortgage there. The mortgage company tells me I've got interest in it. But right. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. 
Um, but you know, it, it, it's I looked at it, and there was one store in town, and it just it just wasn't a friendly store. You know, I, I remember going in there and and doing business, and and I just I I'm a guy that at that point loved to barbecue. I I'd been a competition cook now for numerous years, and I was like, man, you know. And and I live in a a good old boy county, you know. I mean, I mean, people just they like to get together, they like to cook, they like to barbecue, you know. And I'm going, man, if if people want to come in to get their barbecue supplies, they should be able to go to a a friendly place, man, a place that offers advice, a place that has really good options, you know, a place where on on a Friday, if you want to come in and there's a Yeti there, you can pop it open and grab you a cold beer and talk about what you're going to cook that weekend. Ask, ask, ask for advice, ask for questions, and. Man, why why don't we have something like that? And so me and two of my buddies threw in ten grand each. So on thirty thousand dollars, we started a barbecue supply store um, in an eight hundred square foot building. And it was kind of one of those if you if you build it, will they come? Yeah. And that's the the way we went with it. We've been really fortunate, you know. I mean, uh, you know, year and a half later, moved to a four thousand square foot facility. Um, ended up, you know, one of the coolest things I, I got to thank Adam and Jared, my, my cousin and, and one of my college roommates, um, they came after nine months of, of being in the business together. And they noticed at that time, me and my wife were doing the majority of the work. They said, Chad, you know, we, we can see this thing's really going to take off. Um, what do you, what do you think about just buying us out for what we've got in it? And you guys are doing all the work. We're not able to contribute as much as we, we think we can. And to me, that always, that always meant something. You know what I mean? Because you have people that, that would look at it and want to capitalize or go, hey, man, well, the growth's been this over the last year and we've invested this much. And so maybe you can buy us out of this. But just honest, salt of the earth guys that just said, man, dude, we can see this is your passion. This is what you love doing. You guys have done great at it. You know, let me just buy you out at what? You know, why don't you buy us out for what we got in it? And that, to me, and, and you guys have been around business enough, that just doesn't happen. And so those guys I'll always be super appreciative of, but it, w- it was really a cool turning point. And so and actually me and Nicole are still partners in the store. We're just not married, um, <laughs> which actually works out great. As much as I travel and as much responsibility as I have here at Traeger, she's the person down there that really kind of just holds the shop together as far as, the day-to-day, the ordering, the new products, those type of things. I mean, I always ask to kind of still have approval on what we bring into the store. I want to taste it. I want to know because I never want anything to be on our shelves that's not that's not up to par. You know what I mean? That, that I wouldn't cook with myself, whether it be in a competition or feed my friends and family with it. So that that's cool. And, and, and we've got a great staff, too, which makes it pretty awesome. But it's been pretty neat. I, I remember... When we when we signed the lease on that four thousand square foot store, looking around and going, man, how are we ever going to fill this up? And I can tell you today, we're busting at the seams. But uh, but it, but it, but it's good, you know. We've we've been we've got a great community that's been super supportive. Our online business has really picked up because of great podcasts like this and the opportunities I've had. So, what's the website? Uh, WhiskeyBentBBQSupply.com. Okay. So we try to keep it pretty simple where I come from. Yeah, that's yeah. good. But. Uh, but yeah, so that's man. I got really long winded there. I told you guys a lot, I think. But uh, but yeah, I'm sure there's some things we want to go back on. But but yeah, it was uh, it's been pretty interesting, you know. But but it all goes back to those beginning days of just having that entrepreneurial spirit and just wanting to build something. It's something I would tell people, anybody listening here that's 
that, you know, upset about their nine to five job and they've got this dream, dude, just, just go give it a shot. Like you, you don't have to, you know, I'm not telling you to go out and spend every cent of your retirement, but be smart and look at, Hey, is there a way to dip my toe in the water? Is there a way to just check it out and figure it out? I mean, we didn't go out and try to build a, you know, buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of inventory. Really, it was, hey man, let's all put some money in and, and give it a shot and um and 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 see if it works. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, man, we all could have been out ten grand and looking at each other a year later and go, Well, we did that. <laughs> well, you hedged your risk so much that I mean, if you lost ten grand, yeah, that sucks. But that, right. that's but not a big deal. At, at, at the end of the day, you you'll you know, you you should you know, I always look at one of those like Never invest more than the lessons you can learn from it. Hmm. You know, if you think about that, I sat there and went, man, if, if I put 10 grand into this personally, I'm going to learn enough about running a brick and mortar store in this online environment now. Um, how do you treat customers? How do you treat employees? How do you bring employees in that can treat customers the way you need to to differentiate yourself from online? I sat there and looked at it and went, man, there's 15 to 20 things that I'll learn if I fail, that I can then apply towards whether I'm an employee somewhere or go find some other thing to to invest in or try to start up. But I always say, you know, when you look at that investment, go, what can I learn from it? And if it doesn't work, is what I learned from it worth what I put into it? And when you when you take a look at what's an MBA these days, 30, 40, 60 grand, depending on where you That's go. That's a year. That's going to be yeah. a year. I mean, 10 grand to, to start your own business and learn from it. Pretty good deal. That's amazing, dude. Um, are you familiar with Tim Ferriss? Yes. In one of his books. I still haven't figured out that four hour work week though. Uh, no, he, <laughs> <laughs> I think he was exaggerating a little bit with that. Um, but in one of his books, he, he kind of talks about the same thing where he had an opportunity. He sold this company and he had an opportunity to go to, to Stanford for an MBA, which I mean, best MBA program yeah. in the world. Anyone would do that. And he's looking at the cost. He's thinking, Okay, I think it's going to be about 200 grand with everything mm-hmm. encompassed. What if I took that 200 grand and I started investing it and became an angel investor instead? Yeah. You know, so he essentially essentially took the money for his MBA program and made what he called a real world MBA by investing that 200 grand in all these other little companies. Yep. It's exactly what you're talking about. That's fascinating. Yeah, but well, and think about it with the, with the way he's doing it, you know, He's going to take and he's going to invest in this sector of the market, this sector of the market, this sector of the market. And hey, if only one of them or two of them hit, right. he, he now understands what markets to stay out of and what markets to invest further in. You know, yeah. that, that's a really cool. I remember, I remember reading that part of the book. It's been a yeah. while since I read it. I, I kind of tried to forget it all after that four-hour work week. <laughs> that, that, that is one of the, the better stories that I remember from it. Yeah, definitely worth remembering that part at least. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so now you're at Traeger. What exactly are you doing here? So I'm the director of barbecue marketing. So, you know, I've, I've got a pretty cool responsibility of kind of shaping not just our influencer team in barbecue, but kind of the message we send to the world from a barbecue point of view, um, which which is, I mean, it's it's really a lot of fun and it's, and, I, and I've enjoyed it. And um, that's that's really the main things here. But, you know, not just finding people that create good content, but also helping our team create good content, um, interacting with our community, which I think is something we do extremely well here. Um, the passion for the brand, you know, in the community and the people that own Traegers and the, the people, you know, the perspective Traeger folks. I mean, I, 
probably get DMs from people on Instagram several times a week going, hey, man, I'm get, I got a kid on the way, but honestly, man, as soon as we get back on our feet, I'm getting a Traeger, you know? Yep. And, <laughs> but, hey, I've got this right now. Will you give me some cooking advice? Sure, yeah. man. You know, you're going to end up being part of the family one one day. And and um, and it's not just that. I mean, I, I just love helping people become better cooks. Um, I prefer you do it on a Traeger, but, you know, yeah. sometimes you don't have the means or there's other priorities in life. and. That that's just part of it, but I would never want anybody not to reach out to me because they're they're not a Traeger owner. Yeah, and to your credit, man, I I heard you say that on Andy Stump's podcast. You said, "Look, if someone's going to take time out of their day to reach out to me, I'm going to reach back out to them." You know, it's the least I could do. And I was like, "This guy's full of crap." <laughs> so I just so I just went and sent you a message, dude. I was like, "I love your content. I want to sit down with you sometime." And like a few hours later, you you message back. You're like, "Let's do it. I love podcasting." Yeah. He's like, Dang, dude, he's a man of his word. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's one of those things. And, and hey. I'd love for it to be as soon as possible, but I think you guys have seen, I've gotten a couple messages since we've been talking, but you know, I, I, I like to be able to respond back to folks and, and, and I think that's part of ma- making the best out of the technology we have at hand now, you know, literally at hand, yeah. um, is, is being able to you know spread your knowledge and, and help folks out. Um, I, I know I do it to people that I'm not a subject matter expert. We were just talking about before we went live, you know, Hey, I've done, tons of interviews I've, I've had a really good barbecue show but i don't know how to put it on itunes i don't know how yeah. to but, but hey you guys are subject matter experts you'll help me on that if you right. ever need anything barbecue wise you know i'll help you on that and i think that's something where as, as, as we look at the reach that you can have now through podcast i mean podcasts have changed the way people consume content along with social media but i think i mean i can't tell you the the last time i was in a rental car and listened to the radio you know, Rogan, if you're listening, I mean, you're, you're my number one. I, I, I listen to, all, you know, one thing I love about Rogan's podcast is just the subjects. I mean, oh, you, yeah. You go from A to Z and, and stop off at K for a while. Right, I mean, yeah. it's, it's three hours long. too. And, yeah. And, and, and it's just, you know, it's unfiltered. It's, it's, you know, what, what I understand, what I really like about it is watching the development of the conversation. Right. And the thought process that kind of goes into the interaction and, and I think Joe's just an amazing guy because he knows so much about so many things. It's, right. It's pretty amazing to me. But, you know, that I listen to – I'm an old wrestling fan, man, so I listen to Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast. Yeah. And getting to be on that was super cool. And, you know, I, I just find uh, – I listen to a buddy of mine, Greg Rempe, Barbecue Central Show, um, just because it's very barbecue-centric. A lot of my buddies that are competitors and brand owners, you know, are, are on there. I've been on there several times. Um, my buddy Chad Belding at the Foul Life, he does a good job. I've really fell in love with, you know, when Andy had told me, Stump from Cleared Hot, that he wanted me to come on his podcast. You know, I, I tried to listen to some of those so I could get, you know, you know, what's he kind of address his listeners with and this and that. I mean, super cool. I mean, you know, one of the things I love the most about being a barbecue guy is the amount of veterans I've got to cook for. You know, I mean, I, I think I'm one of the few barbecue guys that can say, I cooked for the guy that killed Bin Laden and the guy that pulled Hussein out of the hole. Wow. That's pretty neat. But then That's amazing. I look at guys like Andy and, and those guys and they get to cook for so many, you know, not just special forces guys, but just good old veterans, man, that gave yeah. us the freedom we've got here in, in America, you know, that I think gets way overlooked too much. But to be able to feed those guys a brisket sandwich or a beef rib, I mean, it's pretty damn cool. And that, that's my way of saying thanks, you know, and to me, I really enjoy that, but. That's amazing. Got off on a little tangent there. No, just stay with your tangent. Yeah. It's funny because, I mean, kind of tying all that back together, 
um, when Andy was on Joe Rogan the first time. He's with Tate Fletcher. I don't know if you've seen that episode. I haven't. Oh, and, you know, Tate and Joe are kind of into conspiracy sometimes. Yeah. And so they were talking about if the Bin Laden thing was real or not. Yeah. And Andy's like, no, like, I know all the dudes that were there. And, like, it was legit. You know, yeah. I'm like, here you are. You know both those guys. It's, well, is it Robert O'Neill? Yeah, that? Rob O'Neill. So yeah. I, ended up meeting I love his book, by the way, The Operator. Everyone yeah. should go check it out. I, um, I So I'm, I'm good buddies with a I, – I met him through Traeger, a guy named Tim Montana. So Tim Montana and Rob are both from Montana, right? Montana. Yeah. So I meet I meet Rob and then also I had met Kid Rock beforehand too. And so Kid Rock and Tim Montana are gonna throw um not really a bachelor party, but kind of an engagement party for Rob. And they're talking about, you know, they're gonna you know, what caterer should we get, this and that. And Tim's like, What about getting Chad? Bobby Kid Rock said, oh, that's a great idea, dude. Why don't you call him? So he called me up and said, hey, man, would you be willing to come up and cook Rob's, you know, engagement party at my house? You know, like 35, 40 people. Like, yeah, man, sure, dude. We got some Snake River Farms briskets. What I did learn is if there's 35 people and a, a, almost a majority of the SEAL Team 6, their team oh. that was part of the invasion there was, was there. If you have 55 pounds of brisket and there's 20 Navy SEALs there, you ain't got enough brisket. <laughs> I mean, dude, I cooked like four briskets for 35 people. It was a pretty good – we had pork too. And, I mean, we, we had pretty solid spread. And, man, I was watching as guys were going through the line, and I'm like, all right, this is still the first time through the line. We're, not gonna like, we're down to like half a half pan. Like, this is going to be like – Slim pick. There, there ain't gonna be no seconds, boys. Well, those boys have been starving up in the mountains off Afghanistan, yeah. you know. Yeah. So that was uh, that was cool, and and yeah, it's just it's just cool to and, you know to me. I look at it as you know one, I, I you know being part of Traegers is it's just been cool to get to spread the brand. But what it's done as far as just getting to meet people and and people it's brought into my life, and two, just barbecue. I mean, who, you know, if you'd have told me. Back when I was graduating high school, you know, hey, man, you're going to get to meet these kind of people because you're going to be a barbecue guy. Like, I'd have probably thrown a wild punch at you. You know what I mean? Like, what <laughs> right. are you talking about? Well, it's about? absurd. But, but, but it's, it's funny when you, when you kind of quit letting life and, and what has to be the ideals or what path you're supposed to take, and you truly follow your passion and your heart. And it takes you on to things that you're going to be, you know, like, like me and you were talking about when we walked in this conference room. I mean... I've never worked harder in my life than I have, you know, last year and a half, two years with Traeger, but I've never been so fulfilled and so happy. You know what I mean? It's, um, it's really an interesting balance, but when you're working for a brand that you really love, that you believe in the mission and what you're doing, um, it's, it's amazing what it does to your overall thought process and, and where you're going. And, you know, I always told you, you know, I like startups and I like turnarounds while this is it's a 30 year old company and you're not really turning it around, but our, our just our growth pro projection and our, our growth history and projection and just the way we run around here, because we want a trigger in every backyard in the next, you know, five, 10 years, you know, the, the quicker, the better. Right. <laughs> but you know, just that passion and it's something we live every day and it's what we drive towards. It's a, uh, it's almost like a drug, man. It's just addictive and you want to get up every morning and, and share the word and what we do.
I think people can feel that through social media. It's kind of a, a weird dynamic we were talking about offline, but you know, I'm very drawn to certain personalities on social media. Uh, two of the big things I love is I love cooking or smoking meats. And I, I kind of fell upon you and you've become like my virtual mentor with all that stuff, you know? Um, and then another disgusting, deep, endless rabbit hole I found myself in is archery. And no one I know is into archery, you know? Most people are doing rifle hunts here or whatever. So, you know, I just, I, I'd seen John on, John Dudley on the Joe Rogan podcast. I was like, oh, I'm going to go check this guy out, you know? So I've spent hundreds of hours watching all his content you know yeah. but he he sort of taught me archery but he doesn't know who i am it's this yeah. weird virtual mentorship but what what draws people to you guys i think is like your authenticity because you can sense that immediately you know if you're putting up a, f a fake front that just puts people off and that's something i've noticed that you guys have been doing a really good job at here in traeger and building your brand yeah no and that's the thing i mean we we what i love about what we do here is you know, not only do we, do we show you this great looking food, but then we provide a recipe on how you can do it. And then we've got not just people like myself, but we've got this great team of, of pro team members and influencers that if you've got a question about it, you can reach out to and they're going to respond and they're going to answer you. You know what I mean? That, that to me is what's, what's really, really cool about it is, you know, it's, it's not just something, it's, it's great to look at this great piece of content in this picture and go, wow, that's awesome. I wish I could do that. It just kind of be left stuck. But with what we do with, you know, we release a recipe every day of the year, 365 recipes a year. You know, this kitchen that we're, we're adjacent to here, that culinary staff we got over there is some, some pretty bad folks. I mean, they, they, they work really hard. Our folks in marketing that, that do all the research to say, Hey, you know, in July, these are the type of recipes we want to focus on because this is what our consumer wants. You know, and, and then we tuck ourselves away, you know, for a couple of hours and say, all right, well, here's what we're going to do each day. And then the culinary team, you know, tweaks and makes new, re makes new recipes. And then we cook it and we shoot it. And, but it's, it's part of our ethos. It's part of what we feel is a brand that, that really helps connect us to those folks and uh, be able to do what we do. Yeah, and our generation's 100% social media. Oh, yeah, Like, for I'll sure. never, okay, one exception, JCW's had a blue cheese bacon burger billboard the other night. I saw an I-15, and I got one. So that worked. <laughs> but most of the time, advertising <laughs> doesn't work for me unless yep. it's social media. Yep. Like, anyone I follow, like Dudley posts a Yeti thing, like, I'm, I need to get a Yeti, yep. you know? So our generation, that's, that's the way to get to us. And uh, speaking of Yeti, something I wanted to bring up with you since you're so knit in with influencers and marketing is the recent controversy with Yeti. Yeah. Now, if anybody listening isn't familiar with what happened, I'll give you a brief summary. A few weeks ago, uh, apparent, uh, apparently Yeti restructured its vendor program and you know they kind of had to restructure deals they had with longstanding organizations. And one of these organizations was the NRA. So after they started changing this structure someone within the nra thought that this was them cutting ties is the word that they used and so within i mean 30 minutes oh man oh dude the social media outrage was insane hashtag boycott yeti was you know it was trending like crazy yeah i remember texting my friends i was like this just doesn't seem right like they can't alienate their base it's anglers hunters construction workers you know um and so it sounds like it was a misunderstanding that kind of got blown out of proportion but I just kind of want to hear your perspective on the matter and like how maybe it could have been avoided or. You know, I, I think it's one of those things when you look at it. And I, I remember the, the morning it happened because my, my message inbox got pretty full as being a guy that's, you know, 
been working with Yeti for years. And I, and I, my first thought was, man, I know this company. Like I've cooked for the executives. I've sat down and talked, you know, with, with, well, and they're all hunters a, too. A, so it just didn't make sense. Pretty, pretty high up people in Yeti. And I just, they wouldn't do this. You know, it gets back to what you say. Like talk about cutting off your nose to spite your face. I mean, it, it's, it's a, that this is the market that built Yeti is, you know, right. the hunting, the fishing, that, that kind of community. So I just sat there and went, Hey, I'm going to wait and hear out what, what, what's to be said on Monday. And, and plus I know just from working with Yeti, they love to offer those discount deals, especially to, to organizations, right? Where, where they can, you know, buy a cooler discount and make some money with it as a silent auction item or whatever the case is. Well, a lot of times as your brand grows, like Yeti's just had this exponential growth over the last 10 years. You look at it and you go, man, we, instead of running 40 different small programs, we've got to structure down into like two or three programs that we feel like 85 to 90% of the people we work with fit in. And then the other five, you know, 10, 15%, We'll work with them to, to either find a bucket or, or kind of collaborate between two buckets to, to help their need. And I think that's literally all it was. I think it was just kind of cleaning up how, how they were going to structure all their charitable donations and, and, and help folks out. And somebody from the NRA just thought they'd grab a headline, and boy, did they. But, 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 but I, what I love about it was, and I think was super smart, because I was sitting there on Sunday going, man, I can't believe we haven't heard anything back from Yeti. I can't believe yeah, we haven't it took heard a while. from Yeti. And then about noon on Monday, you know, you had a very well laid out, very well explained reason for what happened. And I went there and went, that, that's smart. There was no knee-jerk reaction. Like, we got to get something out ASAP. Hey, let's circle the ponies. Let, let's talk to everybody, see exactly what happened, and let's share it with the world. And I, and I feel like they did a great job of that. Yeah, and I mean, what worked for me, because like I was like, I was kind of pissed at first. I was like, yeah. because the way it was framed is like, you know, Yeti turns pro, like, you know, anti, yeah. you know, anti second amendment. They're trying to take everyone's guns. And it's like, this just makes no sense. You know, yep. there's all this outrage. And then I was just waiting, still no answer. And then the official statement came out, but I actually saw it first from Adam Greentree. I don't know if you know, Adam, he's, I've, I've never met him, but I've yeah. heard nothing but awesome. So him and Dudley po- reposted the statement. Yep. And like, when I read it from Yeti, because I followed him on social. I was like, eh, like it didn't mean anything. Then like once Green Tree and Dudley reposted, I was like, okay, it's legit. Just because going back to what I was saying about like the authenticity, I was like, these are influencers I follow. And like for some strange reason, I trust them. Yeah. So now all of a sudden they're reposting it. And I'm like, all right, like this is well, legit. And, and I think the reason a lot of us agree with it and know it's, it's, it's the truth is we, we've been able to have that connection with the brand and we know the people that are behind the brand and, Right. It, it it just would be so off character and almost ludicrous that they would not, you know, that that would be something that's true. So, no, that's why it was pretty easy for me to get there, get behind them, and say, um, I think you need to hear the whole story. Right. You know, it, it just didn't er, make er, sense. No, nobody go start throwing, you know, thirty out six rounds through your <laughs> through your Yetis just yet. Yep. Everybody, give it a day or two. Let's hear back from them and. There's a perfectly good explanation. Yeah, it was funny just seeing, like, the left, you know, everyone's like, oh, this is awesome. Like, the murderous NRA, like, they're boycotting them. Everyone go buy a Yeti. And you've got, like, the, you know, oh, what I thought was amazing was, like, Arctic and all the people that were just buying <laughs> buying the crap out of Instagram and Facebook ads for a 36-hour period yep, just yep. <laughs> trying to catch whatever traction they could. That was yeah. uh, 
that that was true uh, second tier kind of maneuvering. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, it's definitely a case study in marketing that I think I'm going to refer to the rest of my life yeah. when we talk about like PR and social media because they did nothing wrong, right? But it turned into this massive, you know, scandal. So that's why I think it's so fascinating. But, but I really like the way that they they sat back, composed themselves, and came out with a good message. Is that what you do at Trigger? Imagine, because I imagine you guys work with similar organizations. Man, I, I don't, you know, you know, to, to us, we just always try to, to communicate a concise message. We haven't had the misfortune of being in a situation yeah. like that. Um, but to us, if, if something comes up, I mean, we, we try to really rally everybody together and yeah. go, okay, what happened? What's going on? And, and what do we need to communicate to the community? But, you know, we really haven't been in that type of situation. But I, I would like to think as a company and knowing the way we operate, we would we would want to gather ourselves, gather our thoughts, um, really understand what happened, and then share it with the community. Well, let's say you were in the position of Yeti looking back, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Would you have done any sort of forecasting? Like, oh, hey, guys, we're doing a new structure. We're going to be changing some things. Would you have done any of that? Or I, You know, I, I, don't, I don't think so because, I mean, you're, you're reaching out to people that are, you know, 5013Cs and charitable organizations and, you're saying, hey, we know we've helped you out in the past. We're still going to help you out in the future. It's just this is the program now instead of the old one. You, you, I, I, don't, I just don't think you would expect to see backlash out of that. You're not yeah. taking anything away right. from them. You're just saying the way we're going to do this is different. So I don't know that you could really forecast that that's something that was going to create what it created. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and talk about some barbecue. Yeah, man. So I introduced you as Chad Ward, the guy that invented the Chad Ward method. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little tongue-in-cheek, right? Yep. Because you did not invent it, but not. we love the Joe Rogan podcast, and he's called you out a few times as that guy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a lot of our audience doesn't know what the reverse year is. Yeah. Do you mind explaining that? No, not at all. So, you know, I always say there's a – when I teach classes, I always say there's a special place in hell for two people. There's the guy that says, hey, always throw meat on high heat to sear in the juices. Total fallacy. <laughs> and there's one that cook fat side up on butts and briskets because it moisturizes the meat as it cooks. Once again, total BS. And that one is real easy to, to solve. So, and I'll, I'll solve the sear in the juices one here in a second, but let's get to the cooking fat side up. So fat's made up of what? Oil, we all agree on that? Yeah. Muscle's made up of, muscle contains water, right? At a very young age, what two things that we learn don't mix? Water and oil. Right. So you're not going to baste the meat with an oil-based fat. It's not going to keep it moisturized. It's not going to penetrate it. Hmm. So it's a, it's a water-based muscle. So the second one, reverse sear. So sear in the juices. So... Let's just talk through the logic of it. What? Oh, I, I, my mind was just blown right there. <laughs> I've never thought I've of it that, way, of either, that yeah. way either. Yeah. That's a do 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 moment. <laughs> Let me stop right I here. I thought either you guys were really questioning me or just needed a second. No, I, no, like, no we're I was, just, like, I was like, that makes perfect sense. Yes. Did, I do, did I do a Tommy well, boy and say something wrong? I we mean, didn't pass chemistry 101, and you're known as the redneck chemist from what I've heard. So you're just spewing truth and, you know. <laughs> so I've always thought fat side up so the fat could like render down render. into the meat yeah. but and you're a new man now yeah, yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm a changed person whereas i like to say put the fat side down you know when you're cooking on a trigger you know with the drip pan 
you know, the heat source is under the drip pan. So you're going to create radiant heat. It just happens, right? So I just look at it as I want to use that fat to protect myself, the meat that I care about, which is above the fat from the radiant heat. One reason I like to cook fat side down. The second reason I like to cook fat side down is that beautiful bark. Why would I put it on a piece of fat that nobody's going to eat? That beautiful bark. I want that. That's that's part of the, the crunch, the texture of the meat. That's the two reasons I like to cook fat side down. I'm so excited to cook, smoke something. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're... For, if you guys out there that listen that haven't smoked a lot of meat, always, always, always start with pork butt. It's cheap yeah. and it's very forgiving. Right. You know, you can rub pork butt down, throw it on at 225, 275, cook it till it hits 165 internal, wrap it in foil, cook it another couple hours till it hits 200 degrees internal, pull it off. And and you're gonna have a crowd pleaser right there. Yeah, I've um, never made a bad pork yeah. butt. Pork, yeah. pork butt is the one that get a couple of those under your belt before you go make that brisket investment because you don't do that one right, that could break your heart. But well, I mean, to that point with trigger, something I think is fascinating is I mean the nature of the pellet grill. Yeah, it simplifies everything. It it, it really does, you know. So so I I ran a lot of offset stick burners back in my day and. You know, I mean, it, it's, you know, if you, if you want to say it's cool to wake up every 45 minutes to an hour and throw a log on the fire, then. Well, plus, I mean, the temperature can vary. Meat loves consistent temperature. Right. And you just get that with a Traeger. And that's what I like about it is I know I've got a couple of jobs. One, make sure it doesn't run out of pellets. It's a pretty easy one. Well, I mean, how long does a hopper last? It, it all depends. So I always tell people um, I calculate like Florida temperatures, you know, so let's say 90s. Gosh, we got one of those days here in Salt Lake, kind of. Like on a day like today, sunny out, looks good. You're cooking at 275. Plan on using about a pound to a pound and a half an hour. You know, so tonight if it drops down to 50 degrees, if I top my pellets off at 10 o'clock and I'm going to get up and check on my meat at 5, I've got no concern. I know I can get seven hours out of a pro series hopper yeah. or definitely out of a timberline hopper. Um, those things I'm not worried about. Now, I love that. I love that as a competition cook. I love being able to, uh, I love being able to get four five, six hours of sleep and just let my trigger go overnight. You know, I, I like that too. So well, I've done a, I've done a few overnight, uh, smokes and which trigger do you have? Uh, pff, I, hell if I know, uh, a good one. Thank you, Ian, for the content. <laughs> He's a tech guy, in case you're wondering. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm, uh, yeah, I would know. I'd have to look. Um, but I like. I've never run out of pellets overnight with the the bin being full. So yeah, I'm not even close. I've done a 10 hour smoke, and the bin hasn't didn't even hit halfway empty. So I mean. That's so, I mean, if you're a busy dude, that's so convenient, you know? It, it, it really is. And like I said, that, that meat really loves a consistent temperature. And, uh, and you're right, man. I mean, it, it's great. You know, there's, there's days that, you know, I'm working from the house and I throw a piece of meat on in the morning, cut the Traeger to 275, kind of go out there and check on it, you know, one, two o'clock, wrap it if it needs to be done. You got dinner at five, six. That's, yep. if that's wrong, I don't want to be right. So it's a pretty simple process, but what are some of the most common mistakes you see within that process? Um, you know, I think just sometimes people don't want to embrace the simplicity of it. That they want to overthink it a little bit and think that you got to create all these steps. And you know, one one thing that I'm 
either, you know, not, not, but you don't have to be in the cooker all the time. You know, people feel like, well, I need to go out and look at it every 30 minutes. Or if, if age old adage, man, if you're looking, you're not cooking. Right. And you're, you're letting heat get out of there. And, and that's, I mean, that's the consistency with the meat you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. And, and plus, you're going to burn up more pellets because the, the trigger is going to push to get back to the temperature it was at as quickly as possible. I, I think that one's a big one. Um, I think also people applying, like, and this is on smaller cuts, but people applying sauce way too early. So you got to think, you know, most barbecue sauces are, are chock full of sugar. Right. And, and that's going to burn, right? Right. And, and usually most of them are, you know, especially like grocery store ones, are cheaper sugars. And when you use a cheaper sugar, like a really fine brown sugar, it's going to caramelize really quickly. So you could end up having this beautiful pork loin that you cooked for three hours, but you decide to put barbecue sauce on it halfway through. It's going it's, it's to have an off flavor because of all those sugars that you charred um, during the process. So I think that's another one that's, that's well, kind of key. Too. I've heard you recommend a separate type of sugar in other podcasts. What's that called? Yeah, so it's a turbinado sugar. Turbinado. Um, if you're going to use sugar in barbecue, turbinado sugar, um, the most popular, it's, it's, it, the popular brand name is Sugar in the Raw. Um, it's, it's very competitively priced, but when, when it comes to sugar and cooking with sugar, the larger the granule, the, the higher the melt point, which is the better, the, makes it better for barbecue and grilling. So what's one thing anyone listening tonight can do tomorrow to become a better pit master or a smoker? What okay. would you say that? A barbecue? Pit master, pit master, pit master, master. Grill master. Whatever you're going to say. Let's, uh, let's make it two things. One, this gives us a chance to tie back into the reverse sear, which we will in a second. But first off is quit cooking based off of time and start cooking based on the internal temperature of the meat. Um, That's something you should have told your dad back then. Yes, <laughs> yes. The, the internal temperature of the meat's key because, as I say all the time, every animal's lived a different life. Some animals have worked three jobs, and the muscles are wore out, and they don't have a whole lot of fat on them. Other ones have been laid up in the country club for, for five, six years. Um, based on that, how much those muscles have been used, based on which of the muscles you're cooking, um, based on the fat content, based on the genetics, that animal's going to cook just a little bit different. So I always use time as a guideline. Hey, budget this much time, but your decision to wrap, your decision to pull it off the grill, um, those type of things, make it based off the internal temperature. Um, to me, it makes you a better cook overnight. The other one is on your smaller cuts, the reverse sear. So big thing that's that's been popular as of late the last couple of years is sous vide the reverse sear is nothing more than a redneck sous vide it's a you know so, so it's a you know let's talk about the the sear and the juices method sear and the juices method involves taking a let's just we're, we're just going to use steak for the analogy taking a ribeye steak out preferably if I'm eating it inch and a half inch and three quarters you know putting seasoning on it and throwing it on a super, super hot surface, five, six, 700 degrees. So just think about it, 40 degree piece of meat thrown on 500 plus degrees. When that happens, there's a little bit of molecular shock. <laughs> Those yeah. muscle fibers, even though they're dead, you just killed them again. They contracted one more time. And when muscle fibers contract, what do they contain? They contain moisture. When they contract, they disrupt that cellular structure, 
Sailors purge, sells purge moisture. If you don't believe that, when you sear in the juices on a steak, when you cut it, do you ever remember seeing a gray line gray, all yeah. the way around yeah. the outside of the steak? Because you're basically boiling it, right? That gray line is the cellular structure you destroyed when you seared in the juices. Well, is that? I mean, would that be the meat boiling because it has? Yes. Those, right. Okay. Exactly. So there's nothing worse. Right. Just like just like if you if you threw a piece of meat into boiling hot water, it would produce yeah. that same gray color that you have on a ring outside the steak. So don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to tell you how to fix that. <laughs> so to me on my Traeger, I do it all the time. Um, I set it at 225 degrees. I pull my steak out, I season it, and I throw it on. Because a Traeger cooks with convection, I don't have to flip the steak when okay. I'm in that smoke mode. So I'll usually smoke it until it hits about 120 degrees. That's internal. Internal, yep. Okay. 120 degrees internal at 225 it's usually uh, two whiskey drinks or about 45 minutes. <laughs> All depends on how big your Yeti is, right? So is 120, is that about rare to medium? No, area? that's actually a little bit lower than, that's almost like 120 is like blue. Blue, okay. But what I do is I pull it off at 120 and I tin it in foil and I kind of rest. I got a little Yeti hopper. So I kind of pull it off, rest it in the Yeti hopper and I crank my trigger all the way up. If I got a Timberline to 500, if I got a pro series, I'd crank it up to high, which is 450. Um, once it gets there, I give it about five minutes for the grate to get hot. And then I sear it for, depending on the thickness, anywhere from one to two minutes each side. What I'm looking for is about, on the first side, when I, I stick it with my thermometer, I'm looking for about 126, 127 degrees. At that point, I'll flip it. Once it hits 132 degrees, I'm gonna pull it off. I'm going to tin it with foil again, put it back in my Yeti for 10 minutes, um, and, and pull it out. At that point, all the, the reason you rest it in that Yeti is it allows all the juices to redistribute. Because if you were to take that steak off that sear right then and cut it, none of those juices have redistributed. You're taking it off a 500-degree fire, so all those, all those molecules are bouncing around. So when you cut it, it just allows all, those, all that moisture to go on the plate. And you don't want that. That's why you want to do a nice 10, 15 minute rest. And I just find it best, you know, in a Yeti in a cooler, whatever. It's, it's nice to kind of bring that heat down and, and let the juices redistribute. And it's a pretty daggum good steak. I heard you on Stump's podcast talk about a certain uh, thermal pen. It's for a company out here in Spanish. Yeah, Fork, yeah. So out here in Spanish. Give them a shout out. Yeah, uh, Thermal Works. They do a great job. And you guys may have saw on my desk today, man. I, you know, Everybody thinks, you know, you got to have the best thermometer in the world. Thermoworks makes a thermopop that's less than 30 bucks. I carry it all the time. Use well, it all that's the part time. of your EDC, right? That's your everyday <laughs> carry. Yeah. But, but, you know, to me, it's one of those that, hey, if I, if I, for, you know, if, 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 if I leave it behind somewhere, I'm not, you know, heartbroken about it. But at my house, I've got two MK4s. And the MK4 is like, it reads within two seconds super quick really awesome but the thermo pop reads within five seconds you know what i mean yeah. it's not we're splitting hairs at that point you right. know what i mean so anything th from thermoworks great company just you want to talk about some guys that can geek out with just some some knowledge that yeah. they're the guys but i've trusted thermoworks the day i got into competition barbecue 10 years you know over 10 years ago till now man they are uh they're really good folks and really great products 
So let's say you can only have five seasonings, and this is not for one type of meat. This is for all your meats. That you're all cooking. meats. All right. What would the five be? Well, first off, I'm going to go Traeger Prime Rib Rub just because it's one of my favorites. Um, man, it's a good question. Uh, I haven't been hit with this one before. Good job. Traeger Prime Rib Rub for sure. Um, my other Traeger Rub I'll probably pull in is Traeger Big Game Rub. It's really good. It's got some some savory, some uh, some turbinado sugar in it, a little bit of salt. Um, salt. That would, I'll count that as a seasoning. Um, people, and, and, and you see it all the time when you watch cooking competitions, people undersalt their food all the time. I'm not out there saying, hey, give everybody diabetes and oversalt your food, <laughs> but a little bit of salt goes a long yeah. way, especially in a finished product. Yep. You, know, you know, hey, you, you got this really fresh pulled pork that you just got done pulling, take you a pinch of salt and run it over that half pan of pulled pork and then taste it. Taste it before, taste it after. A little bit of salt wakes up all the flavors. The smoke, the seasoning you put on there, if you have a little bit of sauce in it, it just wakes everything up. So we're at three now. Um, I would probably go the other two. Mm, I would go uh, probably pepper, because once again, I feel like it's just a, a base. And then, gosh, I guess I got to go to my favorite favorite rub that we carry at the store that's not trigger-oriented, which is uh, Three Eyes. It's a buddy Three of mine, eyes. Dan Hickson, out of Maryland. And it, to me, is like a table seasoning. Um, I've seasoned hash browns, eggs. I've won ribs with it. I've, You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it's just a super, super good um, rub, but Three Eyes Original is, uh, that's probably my fifth one. Going back to the salt question, um, do you ever, do you have a preference on the granular size? Like I know some people when they're plating their food, they like larger granules and they yeah. like preparing with, you know, finer, uh, ground. So, up. so to, to me, if it's something that, you know, without sounding too hoity toity, um, when, like if I'm making my own rub, which I, I rarely do just cause I, I've, I've been fortunate to have a lot of input on our trigger rubs and I cook with a lot of them and I'm pretty proud of them. But if I were making my own rub, it, it would have to be at least coarse sea salt. Okay. I'm not going to go much finer than that. I'm not going to go with the Morton's. I'm not going to go with the table salt. I like that coarse sea salt. Once again, a little bigger, little bigger grain. So it kind of ho hopefully melts over the cooking process. Um, now when it comes to finishing, I like a good finishing salt. We've worked with a company called Jacobs and salt here at Traeger a lot in the past. Um, the bigger the flake of finishing salt, the more pure it is, the, the more flavor you're going to get out of it. So um, to me, a little, little bigger, coarser finishing salt on finished product and at least a uh, coarse sea salt on what you're putting on the raw materials. And if we take the question between domestically raised meats and game meat, how do you approach those two different types of meats differently? You got to look at the fat content. So when, when you look at... So let's see, you get a super lean elk steak. Yeah, a super lean elk steak. So as I talked about the reverse sear on a like on a, on a domestic ribeye, the difference with me on elk is I'm going to pull it off at about 110 to 115 and start the reverse sear process, and I'm going to pull it off at 128. Is that because you'd rather undercook it than overcook Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, that 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 is something that you have spent a lot of time, money, 
interest in harvesting yep. <laughs> and it's a beautiful animal and I don't want to kill it twice. So yeah, so so most of my elk and I've had a ton of people reach out to me on Instagram. A ton of my elk comes off the Traeger at, at 128, 129 max because once you rest it in that Yeti and it carryover cooks, it's probably going to come in at the middle side of medium rare. Um, maybe a little low, but once again, man, to, to me, elk is delicious in that right 130 to well 132 to 135 range is really good so what are some of your other game meats you like to cook up or smoke i should say um man i'm fortunate pretty much it's whatever dudley brings me but um and that's a lot yeah I, oh actually could you tell the story I mean, you were telling it on uh clear it hot when the first time you met dudley you're like putting in an order and he's like all right i'll bring it right back yeah so literally i hadn't even met dudley yet it was like two days before we were going to meet, he's like, uh, hey, I hear you want to cook a hog on a Pro 34. I was like, yeah. And uh, he goes, all right, cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out hog hunting tomorrow when I get down there. And I can, uh, I can get you whatever size you want. I'll just, I'll just kind of let some walk. And when I find the one you want, you know, we'll, we'll let it ride. And I'm like, well, man, if you can get me something probably like 65 to 75 pounds, cleaned, head off, I think it'll pick, cook perfect on a Pro 34. He's like, no problem, buddy. Done deal. <laughs> and like, and this is your first. For, I, I, meeting, I, I right? literally, it's the first conversation I've ever had with John Dudley in my life. Okay. And so, what had you been told coming into it? I just been told he was a pretty good archer. Yeah. Like, like I didn't <laughs> like like oh okay old boy knows how to throw a couple arrows cool you know and I had heard he was a really nice guy. His wife and and son were going to be down there, and uh, he was he was a he was a pretty good archery outdoors, and that that's that's what I knew. And uh, didn't even think to Google it. I was busy, you know. And so, yeah, so he's like, so tell me what size you need. And we go through it. I tell him. And uh, he goes, all right, man, no problem. So literally like 18, 20 hours later, he calls me. He's like, so what time are you going to be here in the morning? I was like, I don't know, man. Probably like 7, 730. He's like, I got it. It's hanging. Exact size you wanted. <laughs> like, all right, cool, man. Let's, let's try it. Sure enough, man, I... I got over there and uh, he had, he had killed two actually, and I had told him I would love to. I had never, I had never cooked a hog where you actually left the belly on the ribs, because pork belly, like domestic pork belly, is super delicious, right? Right. And so I was like, you know, and, and when you have wild hog ribs, there's nothing to them. If you were to separate the belly from the rib, you got like bone and like a quarter inch of meat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was one of those that I was saying, hey, dude, let's just Almost like, let's just take it and half it. And then in the rib section, just cut it, you know. So cut it at the backbone, cut the rib section, and actually cook it as like a whole rack with the belly and everything on it, skin off. Dude, that was some of the best wild game ribs I ever had in my life, or wild hog ribs I ever had in my life. So we did some of those, and we did the whole hog, man, and it was, it was killer, dude. It was so awesome. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. So literally one of my first pictures with Doug, and so we did a Facebook Live that night and just – yeah, it's it's just weird, man. We had really great chemistry and just built a really good friend. Yeah, I I don't think I've ever bonded with someone so much in twelve hours. I mean, it was just between him and Sharon and Harry. I mean, they're just not much better people in the world, man. They're 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 really cool, and I'm I'm glad that I've got to know John and and really become a good friend with him. And and uh, I I've learned a lot from him and just well, you talked about earlier, just authenticity and how do you approach your audience and and how do you take care of the people that take care of you and. I've learned a lot from John. He's uh, 
He's a great dude. I mean, amazing. I mean, I remember that first night when I'm sitting there going, "This guy's just not some outdoors archer, man." Like he's <laughs> he's he's out there and he's he's showing. He's like, "Yeah, you know, where do you want me to put it?" And I'm like, "I don't know, man. Can you put like three of them in the bullseye?" He's like, "Oh, I can stack them in there as deep as it'll allow me, man." I mean, but he but he's not arrogant like that. Right, you know what yeah. I mean? He's just like, "All right, well, I'll see what I can do." And I'm like, "Holy crap!" You know, I. Yeah. Never seen anybody shoot a bow and arrow. I wasn't an avid outdoorsman. You know what I mean? I'm like, right. that's pretty cool, man. I'm gonna start calling you Robin Hood, man. That's pretty neat. <laughs> but, well, dude, uh, I'd yeah. do anything to get him on the podcast if he's ever got open time. That that used to be amazing to sit down with him and talk a little bit. I'm sure if he does and he's out here, he'd, he'd love to catch up with you guys, dude. That'd be amazing. Um, so going back to these game meets that do carry certain, uh, I guess, diseases, what you might call them, like yeah. uh, black bear, especially, you know, wild pig might have trichinosis. Yep. I mean, do you take any extra precautions when you prepare those meats? I, 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 I do a little bit on, on the hog. Um, I haven't done any bear, to be honest. So I haven't had that opportunity You've yet. You've never done like a bear ham or anything? No, not yet. So I'm hoping. Uh, I think Dudley's actually bear he's hunting a, right now. Right now, yeah, he's yeah. up in BC, so. Maybe that one's gonna get crossed off the bucket list yeah. sooner than later, <laughs> but um, but with hog, I, I like to look at it. And the problem is, though, if you take those, if you take those straps off the hog, the loins, the tenderloins, and you cook those to one sixty five, they're gonna taste like crap. So what I try to do is really, 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 because one, one, once again, you know, the FDA has told you it's fine to eat domestic pork at one forty five. I like to know that it at least hit 145 for five minutes. So I'm going to pull that, I'm going to pull that, that, that uh, tenderloin off at 145. Once again, wrap it, put it in my Yeti, because I'm going to smoke that pretty much the whole time, get a nice smoke ring around it. Um, pull it off, put it in my Yeti, and let it rest for at least 10, 15 minutes. Because at that point, I know it's 145 and higher. For not just five minutes, but ten to fifteen minutes, and I, I, I think, to me personally, that's pretty safe. And you've never had trichinosis? I, I, I well, look at me. Not, no. not to <laughs> so we're good. All right, we can trust him on that. One thing I was kind of, you know, thinking about the other night, I was at my my brother's my brother in law's house, and we were smoking up a brisket. It's mm-hmm. amazing brisket, beautiful bark. Yep. And he's got the timber line. I think it's is it the eight hundred? Eight fifty. Eight fifty. Yep. yep. And it was it was wonderful, but you know he's got all these geeks out on it. You know he's got all these different bags of pellets. Like, how do you choose the pellet for each meat? Like, what goes into that thought process? Yeah. So to me, it's like when I look at heavier woods, like uh, hickory, mesquite, those those type of things. I stay away from those on poultry because um, it just overpowers the meat. Uh, when it comes to poultry, I like the fruit woods. Um, when it comes to beef, that's where I start leaning on those heavy ones. We've got a big game blend that I really like. We've got a Texas blend that I like. Uh, hickory, mesquite, oak. Those to me are awesome, awesome uh, beef and, and, and red meat, wild game flavors. Um, but when it comes into pheasant and duck and poultry, I like that, that cherry, pecan, yeah, it, you'll hear me many times when I when I'm teaching classes. I mean, my go-to for anything is fifty percent cherry, fifty percent pecan. Now, if I'm really in Texas and cooking a Texas brisket, hickory, mesquite, or hickory and oak, I'm cool with. Um, but to me, cherry and pecan are just two very 
good flavors and non-offensive. I can run it on beef. I can run it on pork. I can run it on poultry. I can run it on any wild game, and it complements it well and doesn't overpower it. It's another thing you, you, you said earlier, you know, what will make you a better cook? Always remember the meat's the centerpiece. Don't over-season. Don't over-sauce. Don't over-smoke. All you're doing when you're cooking, adding seasoning, those type of things, is you're just elevating that meat. The day that you start overpowering the meat, you you need to step back and figure out what you're doing wrong. Wow. I think that's a good place to end it right there. Love it, man. Dude, Chad, thank you so much. Dude, man. thank I you guys for making it. the time. I was already here, man. I just got to talk barbecue and business for a while with a couple of cool dudes, man. <laughs> yeah, the pleasure's we'll def- all mine. We'll help you out with all your tech stuff. Oh, love it, man. <laughs> Again, all right, Wolf Bear Project signing off. Have a good one. Take care, guys. That was awesome.